Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for a Friday edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. The end of a tumultuous week in the National Hockey League playoffs. Note to self, do not say 7th heaven, do not say 7th heaven, but what we have in front of us, shockingly, three game sevens to close out the second round. This is a second round that at one point had four series that were sitting at three to one. And the question was, would we start the conference final midweek or what was going to happen with that? Instead, three deciding games, uh, two on Friday and one on Saturday. And Charlie Connor coming to help us unpack, for, for me, probably the most unlikely game seven, Charlie, given that the Philadelphia Flyers, and tell me whether you think I'm off base here, but the Flyers have now played 12 games. They beat Montreal in the first round in six games. They've now forced a seventh game against the New York Islanders. Of those 12 games, how many games would you say the Flyers are legitimately the better team? Three? Maybe four? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would say that they were... Uh, you know, dramatically the better team by any means, and especially in any of the games they've won in in this series, they've they've certainly been the better team for stretches. But if you're talking about the entire game, yeah, maybe maybe three, maybe four, if you're if you're really charitable. But yeah, the, this Flyers see they they've won all three of the the games in the series in overtime, and as we all know, you know, playoff overtime games they're basically coin flips. They could go either way. It's whoever makes a play at the right time, and. You know, for whatever reason, this Flyers team in this series has been able to make a play at the right time, even if for extended stretches they're not playing all that well, or at least the New York Islanders are playing extremely well. Yeah. Well, let's get. To, we'll we'll circle back to this notion of a team of destiny or whatever. But for me, you know, there have been lots of moments during this summer. Uh, return to play all of the all of the things that we've seen both on and off the ice and. Um, for me, though, one of the moments that I'll always remember is Oscar Lindblom skating onto the ice, and not just skating onto the ice because we've seen, you know, he t- he's taken part in in pregame warmups, but to see him in the lineup and playing in Game Six um, after his battle with Ewing Sarcoma, I, I thought you wrote about it beautifully today. But I wonder for you, you're around that team all the time. You followed them. You certainly followed Oscar's battle how the team reacted to it when that first I think his last game was in December um what was that like for you to watch that and understand what he'd gone through and what it meant to the team to have him not just back on the ice not just wearing a jersey but taking part in a in an elimination game for the Flyers yeah it was an extraordinarily special moment and that that's the one thing that you'll you'll hear you know from from every Flyers player from everyone in close to the Flyers from you know the the training staff to to the media that, that covered him on a daily basis is just that you know obviously you don't want to see something like this happen to to anyone uh, it, it's it's a, an awful thing for any person to have to deal with but you know Oscar Limblom is just such a a genuinely kind person uh, he's one of those people that you know always has a smile on his face treats everyone with respect you know it's impossible for someone not to like Oscar Limblom the person and not to say that the Flyers, you know, wouldn't have rallied around any of their teammates had this this happen to them, but for it to happen to someone like like Limblom, it was just especially devastating. 
and, and it really crushed them. I remember, you know, on that road trip uh, when uh, when it got a uh, it got revealed to the players when they were in Denver, and the team honestly that road trip kind of fell apart. You know, they they lost all the games in the road trip, and it was understandable. You know, they just found out that that their buddy got diagnosed with cancer, and you know, not only potentially wasn't going to ever play hockey again but might not even survive and and they were a mess they were an absolute mess and they didn't win a game until they came back from the road trip and got a chance to to see Oscar Limla I remember he came to uh to the game day skate at the Wells Fargo Center that day and it was kind of the same feeling where you you sort of knew I remember they played the uh the Anaheim Ducks and you knew that even if the Flyers didn't have their best stuff, they were going to find a way to win that game because, you know, it was just they were they were winning it for him, essentially. And this game kind of had that same feel where the Flyers did not, as I put in my article, they didn't have their A game. They may not have even had their C game, but it just <laughs> the, the longer that game went, you just got the feeling that there was no way that they were going to lose it. And and I think that speaks to kind of the impact that Oscar Limbaugh has on this te- on this team. Obviously, as a player, but but especially as a person. Well, it's going to be interesting, and, and sort of you know, assuming that there is no setback for him and no, um, you know, no no uh, backsliding or whatever it is after playing his first game since December. I, I thought he I thought he played very well. Played seventeen minutes and thirty seconds of a double overtime game. Um, I thought he made some smart passes. I thought, and and as you have pointed out uh, throughout all of this, he. He's an incredibly smart, important player for this team. He's part of that young core that has so many people excited about not just what's happening this summer with the Flyers, but you know what the future holds for them. Uh, what did you think of his actual on-ice play? I thought he was okay. You know, obviously, you know, for a guy who uh, who hasn't played since December, who had his body ravaged by chemotherapy for months, you know, had surgery, you know, he wasn't going to look 100%. And, and he knew that, and I'm sure the team knew that. But he didn't look out of place. You know, this wasn't a guy where every time he hit the ice, you were you were thinking that he was a liability and the Flyers are going to be lucky to get out of that shift without giving up a goal. He looked he looked fine. He looked like himself. He looked like a, you know, a rusty version of himself, sure, but he looked like Oscar Limbaugh. Well, on the on the very first shift of the game, he set up a I forget who exactly he set up, but he set up a, a line mate for what could have been a scoring chance. I believe the Islanders deflected the puck away from from the player before he had a chance to shoot. But it was just a very Oscar Limbaugh play. You know, pounces on a loose puck and immediately gets it to a guy in a dangerous scoring area to take a shot. And it was it's those kind of subtle plays that, that had turned him into such a key piece for the Flyers. And he's clearly still has it you know and I, I as I said I think the Flyers and, and, and Limblom know that you know he's not going to be you know himself for for lack of a better term you know at least in the beginning of this comeback because he hasn't played for so long and he probably still isn't 100% physically to the point where he'll be you know at the start of next season whenever that is but it's really a testament to to his work ethic you know not not that he not that he beat cancer like obviously you know that's something that it's you know you could work as hard as you can and you may not do it but he's a guy who 
you know, he came back into this bubble and he worked so hard to get himself back into game shape, get himself back into a position, you know, where he could be an option when guys like Sean Couturier and Joel Farabee proved, uh, you know, unavailable for this game, where he could be an option to help this team. And uh, and he really deserves so much credit for, uh, you know, the, the the amount of work that he put in to get to this point, even after just getting into the bubble and um, and then making himself an option for this team. It, yeah, you mentioned Sean Couturier. There were so many, so many things that assembled in Game Six that seemed to indicate that this was definitely going to be it for the Flyers. You mentioned no Sean Couturier, the in my mind the favorite to win the Selkie Trophy, uh, a huge part of this team, obviously. Uh, so no Sean Couturier. You had Av Alain uh, Vigneault, the head coach, uh, making a very curious uh, goal challenge, which didn't work out, which led to a goal. Uh, you had a lack of discipline. You had long stretches. I thought, you know, for a lot of Game Six, I thought Claude Giroux again struggled to find some sort of groove for him. Now, of course, he bounced back and he makes a terrific pass to Scott Lawton to tie the game midway through the third period. So, did his part there. But there were, you know. But halfway through the game, they had seven shots on that. Through regulation, they were outshot 42-17. I guess my my question, Charlie, is the fact that they somehow found a way that Ivan Provorov scores uh, through a, a terrific screen to give them a 5-4 win in, in double overtime, does this suggest that it, those mistakes don't matter, that this is a team that... You know, when facing Game 7 Saturday evening in Toronto, that maybe none of that will matter. And that the burden really is on the New York Islanders who've truly squandered a three-win series lead, right? They've let two games get away from them that they should have won. And now they're in a one-winner-go-home, winner-go-on-to-an-Eastern-Conference final. And for the Islanders, the first time since 1993, that opportunity awaits them. I wonder what you think the dynamics are now going into Game 7, given how this series has played out. Yeah, it's so tough to say because a game seven is just its own entity. You know, you, you don't know, you know who's going to be available. You don't know what the dynamics of that game are going to be. Um, I will agree, though, that, you know, the pressure, in my mind, is on the Islanders going into this game. You know, the Islanders are the team up 3-1. to one. They've been, on the whole, the better team in this series. And it's kind of got to be mystifying to them that this is going to a Game 7 because it really shouldn't, considering the way that, you know, both these teams probably rightfully feel about how they've played in this series. So, you know... I, are the Flyers a team of destiny? I, I don't know. You know, maybe. It's it's hard to say that, you know, while you're in the middle of the thing. Um, but I remember going into these playoffs, you know, one of the reasons why I, I made the case in, in a column, I think it was back in early August, um, that the Flyers should be viewed as a contender. You know, and it was a lot of, you know, statistical reasons and roster reasons and whatnot. But the last reason was the intangible reason. and And one of the parts of that was that, you know, if you're the Flyers, you know, you're going to be in the playoffs. Any team's going to be in the playoffs and they're going to, you know, be facing a, you know, a three nothing first period deficit or a three one series deficit. And, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, when you're thinking to yourself, we can't do this, that the Flyers have the ability to look over and at see Oscar Limlomstall and say, you know, how hard is this really considering, yeah. you know, what this guy went through? And, you know, that's the kind of intangible thing that, you know, I'm a, I'm a stat guy, but like, that's the kind of intangible 
tangible thing you can't measure. And you know, whether that's enough for the Flyers to to make it past an Islanders team that on the whole is outplaying them in this series, I don't know. It might not be. But I do believe it provides something. It, it provides some type of extra boost that maybe lets them go further than um, – you know, then the then the numbers and the quality of play might imply they they maybe deserve to go. Yeah, it's I got to tell you, it's it's been so fun to watch from afar. I mean, I don't have a dog in the fight, so. Um, but having spent some time around the Flyers and spent some time with Carter Hart last summer in Edmonton before the start of the season, that only seems like ten thousand years ago, and and really. It's it has been such a fascinating series for for the very reasons you you point out, Charlie. That there's there's been so much, it, it hasn't gone according to any kind of script that we've seen before. Uh, so I can't wait. I, who who doesn't love a game seven? And and what a great opportunity, you know, on both sides of this ledger. I mean, to me, there's so much at stake for both these teams. And and uh, and whoever wins and goes on and faces Tampa in the Eastern Conference Final, um, yeah, I just think it's going to be fun. I, I, just before I let you go, do you? Have a sense on Sean Couturier. I know they showed shots of him sitting up at the stands at uh, Scotiabank Arena. Uh, any sense on you know whether this win and the time between now and Saturday evening might allow him to get back in the lineup, or what? Do you have any gut feeling on that? You know, I, I feel like my gut feeling is that he might not be able to make it back just because. I know how tough he is and I know how hard it must have been for him not to play in game six. Um, but I, you know, this is a guy who think it back to, to 2018, you know, he, he, he had a, maybe not a similar injury. I, I don't know what specifically this injury is, but he tore his MCL in practice, uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2018. Uh, after an accidental collision with Radko Gudis, he missed one game. He came back in game six and, and scored a hat trick on basically one leg. So that's the thing with Sean Gatteri is that if there's any way that he can play, he's going to play. And it's just going to come down to whether, you know, whether he can get clearance from the doctors or whatnot. But, you know, I, I will never question Sean Gatteri's toughness after, after that performance in 2018. So you never know. You know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. He was obviously in the stands, um, you know, during game, uh, game six, the NBC cameras caught him. So it's not like they sent him home. He's still around. Um, so we'll see, you know, you, you never know in this series. All right. Before I let you get on with your Friday, Charlie, I need a prediction. What happens Saturday night, Game 7, New York Islanders, Philadelphia Flyers? What's the outcome? Well, I mean, I might as well just you know, keep rolling with this, <laughs> this destiny thing. I'll, I'll, say, uh, I'll say the Flyers somehow get their, their fourth overtime win. I'll go 4-3 Flyers. Oh, I, I love it. I, I'm with you. Uh, maybe it's not the Flyers. I, I'm all for Game 7 overtime, so we'll, we'll see how it works <laughs> out. You, you should always be following Charlie's Flyers coverage for us at The Athletic Philadelphia. It's outstanding. And give him a follow at O underscore con, C-O-N-N. So do that, and we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to go west, and I don't know how much sleep Jesse Granger has got has gotten, has had overnight, but I'm pretty sure it won't be anywhere near the sleepless night that the Vegas Golden Knights endured as they get ready to face off in a totally unexpected Game 7 against the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, stay with us. We'll be right back with Jesse Granger. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. 
Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with an advanced skin-safe technology which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of the greatest inventions of all time. And one of the best parts of this collection. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Jesse, are you? Is it dark in Vegas? Is it? Is it? Or have has the sun started to to creep up over the mountains in the in the desert? Yeah, we've we've got the sun just barely creeping up over here. Um, not quite light enough to to light the house yet, but it's getting there. <laughs> well, once again, I tip my hat to you for getting up in the pre-dawn darkness to join us on uh, on our morning uh, Two Man Advantage podcast. And I I was being slightly facetious, but I have to believe that that was a pretty sleepless night for the Vegas Golden Knights and Pete DeBoer and the coaching staff and Kelly McCrimmon and the rest of the organization after yet another Thatcher-Demko miracle. And the Canucks come up with a 4 nothing victory in Game 6. And so, as Charlie and I were just talking about the Islanders and the Flyers, Vegas finds itself in, it has to be the most unusual situations. The series that um, was theirs for the taking, they've been the better team. They certainly outshot Vancouver uh, by wide margins. Um, what's your take on them? What's your, when you wake up this morning and realize that this evening, in you know, 24 hours after the fact, that they will be back on the ice for deciding Game 7 that will send one of these teams to the Western Conference Final. Yeah, and it's it's actually funny that you mentioned the sleeplessness because that's kind of how I led my story last night because I remember back in June during this whole pause, I remember talking to Pete DeBoer on the phone. He was in Ontario at his house, and I asked him, like, this is a luxury to have two great goalies in Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, but at the same time, when things go poorly in the playoffs, you're going to be the one that has to decide between the two. And, and is that a, a decision that's not easy to make? And, and how hard is that decision? And he told me, I sleep easy deciding between those two. So I kind of wrote last night, I wonder how he's sleeping in uh, the hotel in Edmonton tonight. Because man, you, you mentioned the whole team, the front office, everyone has to have has to be in shock right now. I don't think any of them expected this series to go seven, especially with how they handled the first four games. And I think of all the people who had a sleepless night last night, DeBoer, man, that is a tough call in net between Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury. So, and, and, I, and whether the goaltending defines tonight or not, 
I think Pete DeBoer's decision is going to be a big part of the narrative. So he's he's got a really big decision to make. And like you said, I think the Golden Knights have been the better team. So like I still think they should be confident going into this game because they've played well. They just haven't gotten the results. But at the same time, the team that has got the results, the Vancouver Canucks, is extremely confident right now. Like listening to all their players after the game last night, they're a confident bunch and they should be. So this is going to be a great game tonight. Well, it's been fascinating. So it, we, let's start with the whole, the reason that we're having this conversation is is Thatcher Demko, 24 years old. We know that Jacob Markstrom, you know, the, the goalie, you know, unrestricted free agent, a lot of discussion as Markstrom has been so good during this playoff run, helping the Canucks to, um, uh, to get to a point where, you know, they, they were in the mix. And even though they were overmatched by Vegas, I think everyone looked at what we had seen, you know, knocking off the blues. And then um, this is a real success for this franchise. And then when Jacob Markstrom goes down and Thatcher Demko comes in, he's 24 years old. He'd never started a, an NHL playoff game before, had played very little, um, even leading up to the pause. Well, sorry, he'd played some because Markstrom had been hurt, but then, of course, hadn't played at all once the return to play began. Began. Um, and all he's done is, is stop 90 of 91 shots to come up with two victories in elimination games. And I, I was talking to a couple of goaltenders who said, listen, the first game is it's it's adrenaline. OK, you don't know what you're going to get. But OK, you know, maybe not a huge surprise that he turned in the 42 save performance in game five. But the question that uh, when I was talking to people was, uh, how does he react then? Because now everyone, the expectations are different. He's had time to think about it. It's real for him. His you know teammates are counting on him to do the exact same thing. And he's even better. 48 stops and including 22 in the third period. And I, I wonder when you've been watching him, have you have you been waiting for him to crack or? Or are you like, okay, no, this kid's a real deal? Or what's your take on Thatcher Demko? Yeah, I think he's been very, very good, obviously, with, with the stats. But I also think the Golden Knights haven't made it easy. I mean, they, they have, they've made it easier than they should be on him, I think. Um, because on the other end of the ice, you had Robin Leonard, who going into Tuesday night's game, he had shut the Canucks out two games in a row. And he had a shutout streak of more than 115 minutes at one point, and the Canucks found ways to beat him with limited chances in the offensive zone because the, Vancouver hasn't had the puck much in this in this series. But when they've had it, they've found ways to create grade-A scoring chances. And you look at the goals they scored on Tuesday were both deflections right in front of Leonard that he had no chance to react, one by Besser and one by Pedersen. And then last night in Thursday night's Game 6, the, the first shot, the first goal was a bad one for, for Leonard, the Vertanen wraparound that he kind of lost the puck. But then after that, it was two shots that he was screened on that he, that he had no chance of seeing. And I think while Thatcher Demko has been very good, and I mean, it's, it's not easy to stop 48 shots even if you see them all, but that's the point is he has seen them all. And, and the, I think the Golden Knights haven't done a good enough job of crowding him in the crease and getting in his line of sight and getting deflections in front of him, changing the direction of the puck. Um, just doing things, things you have to do to get a goalie who's feeling it off of his game because he's clearly feeling it. And once, once, once a goalie gets into one of those rhythms, and we see this all the times in the playoff, goalie gets into a rhythm, starts seeing the puck, he's tracking it well. If you don't get in front of him, you're not going to beat him with a clean shot. And right now, I feel like the Golden Knights are trying to beat him with 40 clean shots instead of maybe taking a few of those shots off the board and, and getting some more dirtier looks, some some screened shots, some deflections, things like that. So don't want to take anything away from Thatcher Demko. He's been awesome. But I think there are things the Golden Knights can do differently tonight so that they don't, once again, 
double a team's shot total and lose again because this has been a, a, a trend for them all season. And I think part of the reason Gerard Gallant is no longer the coach of this team was they went through stretches like this during the regular season where they would outshoot opposition by a lot and not get the results. And I think if you keep... they, I, I wrote it the other day, they lost 40% of the games that they outshot the opposition this season, which usually doesn't happen. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, this this isn't... Thatcher Demko standing on his head stealing this series. I think it's been a combination of a really good goalie coming in and, and playing well and the Golden Knights continuing to to pepper goalies with shots that they can save. So I want to go uh, I want to go back just before we close out our conversation on Vegas and, and Vancouver. I think it's interesting because. I'm like you. I, I didn't like the Vertanen goal. Uh, you know, we, Robin Leonard got turned around a little bit. Didn't seem to, you know, wasn't wasn't ready for it. Right. Um, but but the two the two goals and of course the final goal that made it four nothing was an empty netter. But the two goals um, that were screenshots, both of them, Elias Pettersson right on the doorstep. Like what? How good is that kid? Right. I mean, never mind yeah. the offensive skill, but he is he is in that greasy hard area. And on both those goals, Robin Leonard cannot see anything. And I wonder then what you think the dynamic is for Pete DeBoer. Okay, you, you, you've you had the second-best goaltender for the last two games. That's not necessarily Robin Leonard's fault. But do you need to send a message to that team to say, unacceptable, so we're going to go to our franchise netminder, we're going to go to the three-time Stanley Cup winner, Marc-Andre Fleury, or, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like kind of a risky thing to me. What's your gut tell you? Who's who's between the pipes for the Golden Knights? Yeah, it's, man, it's, it, like you said, it's risky, especially because Marc-Andre Fleury's played once in the last 16 days and twice in the last 28 days, if you go back. And, and that's, and, and this is from a goalie who his whole career has said, I play better when I play regularly. And he even said in his last game, he was great. He played really well against Vancouver in his last game. But even he said the first period, it was jittery. I was nervous. I, f- I felt the two weeks off is what he said. So it is risky to go to him. But at the same time, I just, this is for me personally. And I think for most people watching this team that have watched them for the last three years, I think this team losing three straight games and their season being over and that happening with Marc-Andre Fleury on the bench for all of them just doesn't feel right. It just it just wouldn't feel right for this team to lose without flirting having a chance for, with Leonard being in net for all four losses. I just for me that's and and I know that that's not how DeBoer should make this decision. And if DeBoer decided that Robin Leonard was the better goalie, which he clearly did before the playoffs, he's been the starter in nine of the eleven games. So in DeBoer's mind, Leonard is the starting goalie. I mean, I don't think he's done anything to to say he shouldn't be the starting goalie, like you said. So so maybe he goes with him. But to me. I just don't like, and I, and, and I know that there are probably players on this team that, that wouldn't like their season to end without Marc-Andre Fleury getting a shot in there, even though this wasn't, hasn't been Robin Leonard's fault at all. All right. I, I, you know, nothing, nothing would surprise me because I've, it's been hard to get a handle on, on all of this. But so it's, a, it's entirely possible that tonight Vegas comes out, rolls, it's 5-1 or 4 nothing or whatever it is, and, and we move on to the Western Conference Final, which is where so many of us uh, believe that the Golden Knights would be at this stage of the playoffs. But I think it's also fair to say, if they do not win this game, I mean, this is a pretty significant moment for this franchise. After blowing the lead last year against San Jose in the first round, you've got the goaltending issue 
What happens? You know, can they keep Robin Leonard, who could be a UFA? What do you do with Marc Andre Fleury? What do you do with this? You know, what message does it send if you if this team you know does blow this lead uh, and are ousted tonight in Game Seven? I mean, do you think it's overstating it to say that this is this is a a, a critical moment for this franchise? I don't think it's overstating it at all, um, and it's and it's partially everything that's led up to this. I think this team was built to win this year, and George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon have done a lot of things that were, I don't want to say questionable, but just a lot of bold moves. You you fired Gerard Gallant after he was the Jack Adams winner and led you to a Stanley Cup in your inaugural season, and they they fired him, and it was controversial at the time, and and obviously it's worked because Peter DeBoer has been great, but. If you lose in the second round to a team that you all felt you were superior to, then all of a sudden that move might be questioned. Um, like you mentioned, Robin Leonard, this team had been so against deadline rentals from the very beginning, and then they went out and got a rental for the first time ever, and then they benched Marc-Andre Fleury, and obviously Alan Walsh's tweet is going to be looming large when the offseason comes, and he's still got two more years left on his deal. Um, they're, they, they've traded a lot of future assets to win now, and it just feels like if you can't win, if you can't beat the Canucks in the second round this year after going all in like this, um, do they change directions moving forward? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting, and I think there are going to be a lot of questions to be answered from the front office um, if they can't get this done tonight. But at that same time, I think they I think they've been the better team for six games, and they just haven't gotten the results the last two. So I think I honestly think they should feel good going into this game. All right, easy for you to say, of course. But uh, <laughs> right. anyway, uh, all right, uh, we're going to take one quick break, and uh, we want to come back and get some final thoughts from Jesse Granger about the third of three Game 7s on tap for the next 48 hours or so. So don't go away. We'll be right back and close out this edition of Two Man Advantage. I was looking at the schedule, and I mean, this is the, this is, you know, whether you, you love it or not, but it is one of the realities of this return to play schedule in the two bubbles is that uh, it's all jammed in. And so we are going to get, uh, now it'll be a true matinee for you on the, uh, on Pacific time, but uh, late afternoon game seven action with Dallas, Colorado, and I know we talked about it off the top, but all three of these series at one point teams led three to one, right? Vegas was up, Islanders up, and of course Dallas all all up three one. So a lot of soul searching for all those teams as they go into Game Seven. But for me, the Dallas Stars, and again we've talked a lot about the to me the theme of all this playoff has been the goaltending. What do coaches do? Injuries, all those kinds of things. Dallas Stars twice now have been unable to beat a third string goaltender in Michael Hutchinson. Great story for him. Great story for the Colorado Avalanche. But man, this is going to leave a scar if the Stars blow this lead if they can't close out Colorado in game seven uh, to me that's a huge that that's kind of legacy stuff for guys like Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben uh, agree disagree Jesse yeah I agree I mean this is that's what makes the playoffs so great right is is these things matter um, and you, they, they can't be just looked off like that yeah no I completely agree what what you do in the playoffs is what builds your legacy and that's what you did over your career and if as good as Hutchinson's been, if you can't beat him three straight games up three to one, then I mean that deserves to go on the on the record. What uh, so what you I, I'm, to me this Colorado team is, 
you know, it's it, Nathan McKinnon has just been unbelievable. That whole team, every night they seem to lose another body and injuries galore, um, not just to the goaltending, but for critical members of that lineup, both uh, on the back end and up front. Um, but Nathan McKinnon always seems to find a way. And I wonder what your gut tells you about this Game 7 as well. What do What do we see from both these teams um, and, and I think it's fair to say, certainly there'll be no, you know, there'll be lots of excuses if Colorado can't answer the bell, a lot of uh, rationale if they, if they can't win. Um, but I don't know, they seem, you know, maybe they are one of those teams that might be a little bit of a team of destiny as well. I wonder what you're expecting out of that game seven today. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting another big game from Nathan McKinnon for sure. And Rick Bonus said it after last game, your best players have to be your best players in these moments. And that's what Nathan McKinnon's been. I mean, he, I think I saw the other day, he's got as many points as Ryan O'Reilly had last year during the blues cup run. And we're in the second round. And obviously, obviously these playoffs are a little different because he had the round Robin, but still, I mean, he still has two more potential rounds to, uh, to add to those points. He has been unbelievable. I mean, just the speed in which he comes up the ice and, and his mind is working faster than his feet are. Um, he's, he's flying past guys, but he is seeing the game at another level right now, and it's fun to watch. Um, if I was picking, I'd definitely be picking the Avs just because of, obviously, the, the hot streak they're on right now and, and the fact that I thought they were the better team going into this series. That's To me, that's the difference between this one and the Vancouver-Vegas one is Vegas was supposed to be the better team. They were the better team. They took the 3-1 lead, and now all of a sudden, this Vancouver team has found life and is playing really well, whereas in this one, I think most people expected the avalanche to win this series in in five or six games was what I saw most people picking before this series and now all of a sudden they've had to claw their way back but I think now that they have and it's we're in game seven um it's it definitely favors the Avs uh, I can't wait it's just, there is nothing better than a game seven Stanley Cup playoffs and uh <clears throat> at least uh, for you you you'll know your fate writing wise at the uh, the end of the day post-mortem or conference final setup uh, but you should always be reading Jesse's Golden Knights coverage for us at the athletic LV and you should give him a follow on Twitter at Jesse Granger thank you so much for hanging out with us Jesse take care yeah thanks for having me this this was easy to get up this early this morning because it's it's game seven and we've got a bunch of them and and there's nothing better I can't wait <laughs> all right take care my friend thank you all right this brings us to the end of not just this work week, but uh, this week in the life of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And by Monday, the landscape will look completely different. We will know who has prevailed, who is licking their wounds and contemplating what has happened in Game 7. So make sure you join us on Monday morning for the next week of Two Man Advantage. You should always check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. So have a great Game 7 day or days as we go into Friday and Saturday. And we'll see you back here Monday morning.